Thank you so much, Brian. For those of you that maybe couldn't read the text on the video that we showed earlier, the <clears throat> I don't know why you couldn't read it, and I don't know why you couldn't understand the man speaking. I don't get it. Um, but uh, the IMB has partnered with uh, a, s- a certain set of Korean churches, um, and they are working together with them so that they might send out young men and women into difficult places for the gospel to go, for difficult places for Americans to get into, and they are sending them out to those places to spread the gospel um, and to do so very effectively. And they go for six months to a year, and then they return home, and what they're finding is many of them return home with a new vision of what the Lord would have them to do, whether it is to use their gifts and their talents and their abilities to spread the gospel through their, the job that they have, or whether it's through uh, surrendering their life to full-time missionary work or mission, ministry work. And, uh, and part of what we do as Southern Baptists through the Lottie Moon offering helps to support that training um, and the ability for those students to do that. And so that, that is part of what that video was about. And it's so, so amazing to me to watch. You know, we think about, sometimes we get, we get a little bit inward focused in the sense that we think that we're the only ones doing the work. Um, but the Korean church, we're seeing God do some amazing things for the glory of God. Um, they have a heart for the gospel and taking it to difficult places um, we're seeing it in the Cuban church, God just doing some uh, miraculous things in a place where the gospel has been restricted for so long and the church is exploding. We're seeing it in the Chinese church where God is not just saving people, but they have a desire, um, a movement called Take the Gospel Back to Jerusalem where Chinese missionaries are on foot walking the Silk Road back to Jerusalem through every country taking the gospel. Um, and so God is doing amazing things through missions, not through just the American church, but through the global body of Christ. And uh, we get to be a part of that as we give to Lottie Moon and as the Lord calls us out, whether he calls us out to our community or whether he calls us out to our country or whether he calls us out farther to the nations. All right, that's sermon number one. If you would uh, turn to Matthew chapter two, we're going to be looking at verses one through two. And we are finishing up a sermon series that we started about three weeks ago. And as I was thinking about this sermon series, as I was thinking about it coming to a close here the Sunday before Christmas, this hymn came to my mind, and I'm not going to sing it, Lord be praised. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in Thee, Israel's strength and consolation, hope to all the earth Thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born Thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now Thy gracious kingdom bring. By Thine own eternal Spirit, rule in all our hearts alone, By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. You know, as we've looked through these last few weeks through the Old Testament, how that must have been on the hearts of so many. Come, Messiah. 
become Savior. Whether we looked in Genesis, as we looked at the curse that was brought upon all of us through the rebellion of Adam and Eve, and even in that moment as God speaks that the curse would not reign forever, but rather there would be a descendant of woman foreshadowing a virgin birth that would come and crush the enemy's head and deliver from the curse at a great cost as we see that the serpent would also strike his heel. Or whether we look at the Day of Atonement in Leviticus and look at these two goats, one which dies to cleanse us and one which dies to separate us from our sin, to remove sin from our presence and therefore foreshadowing the work of the Messiah that His death and and His resurrection would not only cleanse us from sins but that it would separate us, making us holy so that we may stand before a holy God, innocent and righteous. Or whether it be in Micah as we see the coming of a king who would be born in Bethlehem. Not a new king, but one that was divine and eternal in nature from the very beginning of all time. Not the coming of a new king, but the coming of the king. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. One who would bring peace to his people. Peace with God, peace with the trouble that we find ourselves often in and peace in what we look forward to for all eternity. And now we come to this passage in Matthew as we come to the wise men who apparently knew some of these prophecies, who apparently knew of the king that was coming. And now he is here. If you would, I hope that you found Matthew. If you would, would you please stand with me that we may honor the reading of God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And what a great and awesome God that we serve. That you knew of our plight. That you know of our deep and greatest need. It's not of money. It's not for things. It's not for safety. It's not of family. 
Our greatest need has nothing to do with the things that are external. Our greatest need is the curse of sin that has corrupted our hearts and our souls. You saw us in that state and that you sent yourself in the form of a little baby for the divine purpose of sacrificing one who could pay the penalty for all of us. Lord, we are thankful for that sacrifice and we are thankful for the victory that was won. Lord, I pray that today you would help us to remember those things and that it would drive us, that it would, it would change us to worship you in every way that we can imagine. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You know, these wise men come and they were expecting, I think, something a little different than what they found. They come and they, they kind of ask the question, where's the party? Like they're showing up in Jerusalem because after all, they had come to find the king of the Jews. And where else would you go but first to go to Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews. And furthermore, to go to the king, the one that, that was the reigner. And so it was likely that he either it was his son or they didn't know. But they come and they're thinking, man, we're probably late because this star appeared some two years ago. And you say, well, Brian, how do you know that it was two years ago? The idea that we get from that is because later, um, Herod being tricked by the wise men, the wise men not going back to him, he begins to, to dispel or to get rid of all the children under the age of two because that was about the time that they had apparently told him that the star had appeared. So they have seen this star for two years. They have come and, and they're probably thinking we're late. Like, have you ever been that person to a party that you're like scrambling and you've tried to get there as fast as you can and you walk in the door and you're expecting to be late, you're expecting that, that you're going to be the one that's awkwardly walking in after everyone has already sang happy birthday and, and done all of that. that. That's how these guys probably felt. They're like, we're, we're late to all this, and, but there's going to be this great celebration and they walk in and there's nothing. And they say, okay, where is the king? Where's the one that's been born? Where's, where's, where's the one that the star was for? These wise men more than likely were from Babylon or Persia in that area, though we don't certainly know that for certain. More than likely they had heard of the prophecies, uh, both the po prophecy of Balaam about the star rising from Israel, the prophecy of Micah about about Bethlehem possibly even. They had heard of some of these prophecies about a king, about a Messiah to be born in Israel from the Jews in exile, but we don't know that for certain. We typically, historically, say that there were three of them, and you'll probably hear me say that through this sermon, the three wise men, just because it's so natural for us to say that. And we get that from the three gifts, but we don't know that for certain. It could have been two guys with three gifts. It could have been five guys with three gifts. It could have been 15 guys with three gifts. It could have been, okay, probably not 1,000 guys with three gifts, but you get the idea. We don't know the number, and we're not told. We're not told their names. We're not told their, really their occupations other than they were wise men, they were magi, they were probably astrologers, though we're not sure if that's a profession or that's just a hobby. We're not really told much about them. The only thing we really know for certain is that they were from the east and that they were bearing gifts. It's because the point of this chapter, the point of this passage is not the wise men. The point of the passage is worship. 
worship of a king, worship of a Messiah. Matthew is, and the rest of the scriptures go to great lengths to make sure that we understand as the readers that the only person, the only thing worth worshiping, the only thing that is worthy of our worship, worthy of our devotion, worthy of everything that we can bring is God. And so it should strike us that that is what is being worshipped here is the baby. What should that tell us? It should tell us that the baby itself is God in flesh. That's the point. That's the focus that Matthew wants to bring here. Is what are we worshipping? What are we looking for? Now the wise men come from the east and they're prepared, like I said, for a party. But what they find instead is that Israel has missed it. As a large part, on the whole, Israel has completely missed the moment. Certainly some shepherds on the hill had seen it. Maybe the hotel manager figured it out later. But for the most part, Israel had completely missed the moment. They come to Herod, the secular king, but he has missed it. Herod being not a Jew, he was a figurehead put in power by the Romans to reign over that area. And he knew enough of Scripture to know who to ask. He goes to the Pharisees, the high priest. He goes to the scribes and he begins to ask them. Herod had a head knowledge that there was a prophecy and he seemed to vaguely remember hearing about it. And so he goes and asks. But he had missed it, even though he was supposed to be the leader of this people. Even though he had a, a vague knowledge maybe of something that was promised, he missed it. The chief's priests and the scribes, they missed it. They knew Scripture inside and out. They, they had memorized great portions of it. They, they knew where to go to find the very prophecy that spoke of, of Bethlehem. They, they were even maybe expecting it to some extent. But they had missed it. They didn't have anybody out watching for it. They knew that, that or at least they were able to find that this child, that the, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, and yet no one was looking for it. They didn't have any, any people posted down there saying, hey, if, you know, kind of pay attention to what's going on around you and see if something interesting happens. And you say, well, Brian, that may, may be a bit harsh. Like, you just expect them, the high priests, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, you just expect them to hang around and watch for a Messiah? That seems a bit much, is it? That's what we see in Simeon and Anna. If you go into Luke chapter 2, it's exactly what you see. Simeon and Anna are doing, doing what? They are hanging around waiting for a Messiah that's been promised. They're more in tune with what God is doing than those that were supposed to be the religious leaders of the day. The king had missed it. The priest had missed it. The people of Jerusalem had missed it. People of Israel, by and large, had missed the coming of the Messiah that had been promised for so long. They were supposed to be God-fearers. Supposed to be people of Yahweh. Those that followed the Lord. And yet, this promise that had been made to them for so long, a promise that had prompted many of them to name their son's Jesus. By the way, it, that was a common name. It wasn't an unusual name. God saves. They had anticipated it. And yet, in their busyness, they miss it. In fact, it says that when the announcement was made that the king of the Jews had been born, that the wise men had come to search for him. What does it say? It says that Herod was troubled, and so was all of Jerusalem. 
Rather than celebrating, they were saying, they must have been saying things like, oh man, how is Herod going to react to this? He doesn't deal well with challenge. Oh man, how is Rome going to deal with the fact that there's a king coming? Oh, this is going to upset the apple basket. Oh, what's this going to do to the economy? What's this going to do to our, our fragile peace that we've become so accustomed to? As we say in my household, change is bad. That's what they were worried about. That was their concern. It wasn't, yay, the Messiah is here. Yay, the Christ has been born. It was, oh my, what's going to happen now? These are the people of God. It should strike you that in chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, that the people that are there to worship God are the people that you would least expect. You would expect Herod, the king of the Jews, to be looking for the Messiah. You would be expecting the priests and the scribes to be ready to worship the Messiah. You would be expecting the people of Israel to be prepared for the coming of the Christ. Yet they all miss it, though they all have knowledge of the Word of God. Yet they all claim to be worshipers of God. They all miss it. Except for these three wise men from the east. A few shepherds. And a few, a handful of others that were looking. They all missed it. I said that the purpose of this passage was worship. And certainly we see it in the, the wise men. We see them coming to worship. We see that Israel failed to worship. That they had missed the moment. Part of the wise men and their ability to worship or their, their coming to worship was giving of gifts. Now those gifts were providential in one way, and we have looked at this before actually, that those gifts were given and then they were turned around and used so that Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus might flee into Egypt. If you go on and read the rest of the story, as I alluded to earlier, what happens is the wise men skip out on Herod, they go back a different way, and he gets angry, and he feels threatened by this this king of the Jews that's been born and so what he does is he proclaims that all male babies two years and younger in the town of Bethlehem and the surrounding area would be killed and an angel comes and warns Joseph that he needs to get out of there and so they use certainly they use this gold and this frankincense and this myrrh all very valuable things to aid them in their flight to Egypt and then to be able to establish a home there until again the angel would come and say, no, okay, it's time to come back, it's safe. So certainly they were providential gifts from the hand of the Lord. But they were also, they were also a great foreshadowing, a great telling of who this baby is, who this baby was going to be, what his life was going to look like. There was a church father in the second century named Origen, and as he studied this passage, he said this. He said, gold as to a king, myrrh as to one who will die, and incense as to God. As we see these wise men come, they give gold as to a king. They give gold for this baby that is born. They understood his royal purpose. We saw it in Micah just last week. That this baby was coming to be a ruler over his people. To establish a kingdom. Now as Jesus would plainly explain to his disciples throughout his ministry. That kingdom ended up not being an earthly kingdom like they expected. He would not 
defeat all of Israel's foes and bring Israel to the top rank. But rather, he was there to establish something much greater. He was there to establish a heavenly kingdom, one that would last for all of eternity. He was not just the king of the Jews. He was the king of the universe. And they bring him gold to recognize that. They bring him frankincense, or his origin says, incense as unto a priest. Now he says as unto God, and and certainly we get the correlation there, but as Jesus Christ is God in flesh. But that frankincense was used at the altar of incense. It was in fact the only thing that was allowed to be used at the altar of incense located inside the temple. And only the high priest was able to use it and to take it in and and to make that offering. You know, and as you go throughout the entire Old Testament, what you find is those two offices are usually separate. Usually the office of king and the office of priest throughout the Old Testament are separate things. Not things that are bound together. And there's a purpose for that. Because God knew that in the hands of man it would be dangerous to have one individual that was both the secular ruler and one individual that was the religious leadership. Those are dangerous things to combine in the hands of a, a corrupt man. But Jesus was no corrupt man. He was no everyday person. And so in Christ we have the coming together of kingship and priesthood. In the order, as Hebrews would say, and as Psalms say, in the order of Mekeseldik. If you don't know who Mekeseldik is, he's found back in Genesis. He meets Abraham as Abraham comes back from a victory. And it says that he is both king and priest and he lives in Jerusalem. But we're given no other information about him. He kind of appears and goes away. It's a very odd meeting. But Hebrews makes it very clear, if you read through that book, that that is a picture of Christ, the king and the priest of the Most High God. Both combined into one office. And and Christ is the only one who can do this to the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of perfection as he rules perfectly for all eternity and as he goes in before God as a mediator, which is really what a priest is, a go-between between people and God. He does that not based on the blood of another, but based on his own blood, on his own eternal sacrifice. Now, forever and ever, to make intercession for you and for me. We have gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, and then lastly, we have myrrh for a sacrifice. Myrrh was another, another spice, another incense that was used commonly in the burial rites of people in that day. They would take the cloth that was to cover the body and dip it in the myrrh so that it may cover up the odor of death. It was very strong, very pungent, but but fairly pleasing. The wise men, as they gave these gifts, they didn't just give gifts for a king. They didn't give just gifts for a priest. They gave a gift that made it clear that this was also one that would die. One that would pay a penalty. We saw this back in Genesis, didn't we? As God proclaims to the serpent that the curse would end, that there would be one born of a woman, and that he would crush your head. But what does he also say? But he will, you will strike his heel. He is king, he is priest, but he is also divinely appointed to be our sacrifice, to be our substitute. He is, as we've said before, the perfection of the sacrifices 
that we saw on the Day of Atonement as in Christ are both of the goats, both the blood to cleanse and also the ability to take away our sins for all time. And so these gifts aren't just providential, but they were great foreshadowing of who Christ, who Christ was there to be and who He was and who He is. And so as we look at this passage, we have a couple of things that we must find, a couple of things that we strive for. We don't want to miss Christmas. And so first, we must pray for vision. Again, we see the, those that are there, those that are in Israel, the people that should be watching, the people that should be waiting, that the ones that should worship Jesus because they know the Word of God, because they're there in that place, they completely miss it. They completely miss the opportunity to worship this baby. They completely miss the opportunity to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They were there, but they didn't see it. On the other hand, you have those that are waiting and watching. You have the wise men who were granted the, the blessing of seeing the star. You have the shepherds who were granted the privilege of the angels. You have Simeon and Anna who were faithful servants in the Holy Spirit who recognized the Messiah when they saw Him. Oh, that we, God would give us great vision through the Holy Spirit. That we would see what he, is do, what he has done. That we would see what He is doing. And we would see how He would have us to join Him in that. How we are to worship. How we are to serve. That we wouldn't miss it. Because we, we can do that. Even for those of us that we regularly attend, we know the Word of God, we, we study it. If we are not careful, those become rote memory things. Those become things that we just check off a list and, and we just do things just to do them rather than out of a heart and a passion for the Lord. And we get blinded by our own routine. I pray that the Lord would open our eyes, that we would see what He's doing around us. Pray also that we would worship Jesus as King, Priest, and Lamb of God. He has come, as we talked about it that, in that hymn at the very beginning, we have talked so much about Jesus and our, our desire and our, our longing for Him to come, about how Genesis spoke of it, how the law spoke and foreshadowed of a, the need for a Messiah, about how the law uh, shows us the, the gap there and how we, the, the sacrifices wouldn't do forever. The Psalms and the prophets and and how they speak of one that's coming. And now we see here in Matthew. We see it in Luke. He has come. And so we should desire to worship him. We should desire like the three wise men do. To, to give him gifts. First we obey him as king. We obey him as king. This is our first gift. John Chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus makes it clear. If you desire to worship me, if you desire to know me, if you really care about me, then you're going to obey me. You're going to do what I say. You're going to have a desire to do those things. They're not going to be heavy burdens. They're not going to be weights upon you, but rather you're going to long to read this word and to follow through. If we're going to call Him King, if we're going to call Him Lord, then we have to follow. 
our gift of obedience is greater than any gold we could offer. Second, we must trust him as priest. Hebrews chapter 4 starting in verse 14, says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If we see him as king, then we must give him our obedience. If we see him as our priest, as our mediator, then we must trust him. We must trust him to go before the Lord on our behalf. We must have faith that he is the way to salvation. But trust and faith are funny things in that they only go so far as as you are willing to act upon them. If you say you trust someone, but you never give them anything worth value, then how much do you really trust them? If you never give someone an opportunity to fail, then how much do you really trust them? How much faith do you really have in them? It was funny, you know, you think about driving as a teenager, and and I had one parent, and I won't share who, but I had one parent who was all like, oh yeah, I want you to drive, I want you to learn, I want you to... And yet, every time it came to drive, I never got to drive. Or when we got to the city, it was, oh, maybe I should drive now. That doesn't scream, I trust you. And maybe rightfully so, looking at my driving record and past, but it screams, I want to handle this, not you. I want to take control of this, not you. But we do the same thing with Christ. We say, I trust you. We say we have faith. And yet we give him nothing of value to take care of. We give him nothing where if he fails, it might cost us something. Rather, we keep all those things close to our chest. We say, I've got this, Jesus. I'll take care of this part. You don't have to worry yourself. I'll do this part of life. I don't need your help. Trust only goes, and faith only goes so far as you are willing to act upon them. We obey him as king. We give him the gift of trust as a priest. And we give him the gift of worship as the Lamb of God. Revelation, as we turn over to that passage, Revelation chapter 5. We have this great picture that John records of the future in heaven. Revelation chapter 5 says, Then... I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out, into all the earth 
And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us join with all of heaven to worship the one who was slain for you and for me. For the one that allows us to step into the presence of a holy and just God who created us from the beginning of time. And to worship Him with all that we are. To know that He paid a price that we could not pay. To know that He defeated death on our behalf. To know that He has brought peace between us and God. Oh, that we would obey Him as King. That we would trust Him as priest. And that we would worship Him as the Lamb of God. Let us bring our gifts to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up and we're just going to have a time of worship, a time to respond to that. Maybe this morning you've never put your faith and trust in Him. Maybe you've never known what it is to have peace with God. Maybe you've never known what it is to to know forgiveness, to know hope. This morning, Christ extends that invitation. He has died for you. He's died that you may have life and to have it abundantly. This morning, you can accept that invitation. Maybe this morning, you're already a son or a daughter of the Most High God. This morning, you you can come and to worship Him for all that He's done, not just in the manger, but on the cross and in the empty grave. That we can join with the host of heaven in singing His praise this morning. Let me pray. Father, we come before You. and Father, I pray pray that as we close our time of worship this morning, that it wouldn't be the end of worship for our week. That it wouldn't be the end of worship for our day. But rather, Father, that, that we would meditate upon Your Word this morning. That we would meditate upon Your work this week of all that You've done. Lord, and that it would lead us to the same place as the elders and the four living creatures and all the angels of heaven. Or that it would lead us to our knees in worship. That it would lead us to lift up our voices in song. That it would lead us to tell the truth of what you have done in our lives to those that desperately need to hear that. 
Father, I pray, lead us to response to your word this morning. Help us not to miss Christmas and all that you have done. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.